0: Twenty-six years ago, some of our neighbors trusted Jesus. Uh, Two young dads came to Christ just through conversations in our brand-new neighborhood in the little town of Frisco, Texas. Uh, Their families started discussing the Bible at home, and then some of their family members became Christians. The harvest in Frisco appeared really ripe. In fact, the little town of Frisco, 26 years ago, appeared poised for growth. Uh, The city had made some very wise decisions, uh, decisions that meant that that growth could prove quite healthy. I was on the board of a church in Dallas, and in an elders meeting, I, uh, I said to the elders, hey, there's all this opportunity there that just seems so fertile. Uh, we need to plant a church in Frisco. Let's plant a church in Frisco. And their reply was, and I quote, you're crazy, there isn't enough money, and we have to build another building here at the church in Dallas. And by the way, all three of those comments were true. Um, but I could, not, I could not get the idea of the Frisco church out of my head. And I apparently began to babble about it endlessly. Um, I even grumbled, which is sin, uh, about the cost of the building for our new Dallas church. And so finally, Jana, I'm sure tired of listening to me grumble, she said to me one night, look, God has obviously put this on your heart. I'm with you. Let's just do it alone. To which I replied, and I quote, we'll starve. (laughs) Read my lips. We will starve. And Jana made a brilliant reply to that. She said, so we starve. I mean, then we either do something else or we go to heaven. Either one sounds fun. (laughs) And that's how Frisco Bible started. We began with 22 people. By the way, only 13 of those were old enough to vote. Um, We began with 22 people. We started meeting in our living room. And then on Labor Day weekend, 25 years ago this weekend, a new, tiny, horribly underfunded little church was begun. Now, there are certain elements that are always part of that adventure. They're part of every adventure when you're doing a work in the Lord. Whether you are building something new or you are rebuilding something in disrepair, their builders always experience three things. You're always going to experience three things in every work the need, the provision of God, and opposition. Open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 2. In Nehemiah 2, you see the pattern for all times and all places. There is always need, provision, and opposition when you're doing something for the Lord, when you're working in the Lord. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 2. It's right before Esther in your Bible. Nehemiah chapter 2, and let's read verse 17. So I said to them, the I, by the way, is Nehemiah. Uh, the setting is the post-exile period for Judah. So so Judah, the the country of judah has gone into captivity for 70 years and now they've had three different waves of restoration the persian empire conquered the babylonians who had taken them into captivity and allowed them to go back home nehemiah is in the third wave of people to come back and he sees that there's precious little that has been done in the decades that people have been there the walls around jerusalem are still a mess it's very unsafe and so he gives his speech verse 17 to the elders in the city of jerusalem so i said to them you see the trouble we're in Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we no longer be a disgrace. As we say in your notes there inside the worship guide you got when you came in, verse 17 shows the need. On this earth where entropy rules, there is always a need for fresh work. In this text, Nehemiah sees the need to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. When we send a team to Uganda in a few months, they're going to enter a situation of need. There are brilliant, dedicated priests from the Church of Uganda that will come for training. These people lead hundreds of churches with tens of thousands of members, and yet they have never had the opportunity to read and think and debate and learn about some critically important aspects of biblical theology. Twenty-three years ago, we gave birth to Hesed Ministries in order to meet that need. It was our, it was, by the way, Hesed Ministries was our very first mission. It was the very first thing Frisco Bible did beyond our our own ministry. Uh, it, It is It is the work of God, listen carefully, it is the work of God's people to fill a need when the need is genuine and that situation fits the church's capacity. We cannot, we should not try to fill every need, but we must attack the ones for which we are equipped. That's why Nehemiah is such a great servant of the Lord. Look what he does. He sees the need. And by the way, he seems to be the only one who realizes that they are equipped to meet that need. More about equipping in a moment. First, go back to the start of Hesed Ministries in Uganda. Since early on Frisco Bible Church, this was part of our DNA from the very beginning, we had an abundance of well-educated Bible teachers. And since we had so many well-educated Bible teachers, Hesed was a perfect fit for our young church. Same thing was true when we started Legacy Christian Academy. It was a need that fit well with us. It was something that we could address. We started Frisco His, the home is school group, because of a need. A, a homeschool couple came and made a pitch to our elders asking for the creation of a homeschool network to assist with families in this area. It fit our capacity. We agreed with the need. What, what we didn't condone was their originally proposed name. The, uh, the lady came into the elders' meeting and she said, We've come up with a name for the group, Home Educators in Frisco Excelling Reciprocally. One of our elders, uh, I still remember him looking over his reading glasses, he looked up and he said, um, that's, I, I like the idea I think it's very good it does seem to fit us and we'll discuss uh, after we dismiss you but um, uh, I must point out that your name is rather long and so people will use acronyms and yours spells heifer <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so we died laughing and changed the name to home his school to his <clears throat> same formula was at work and we helped Pine Cove start camp in the city when we planted a church in Bologna, Italy. That's a long, fun story to tell you sometime. When we started all the difference, all the wonderful churches and ministries that we have been blessed to launch, there were evident needs that this little church plant could fill. It doesn't matter whether the new work was something that was spun off to become its own independent organization or whether it remained a part of Frisco Bible. The point is they were all designed to meet a need. Now, let's talk about God's equipping. Look at the provision in verse 18. Go to verse 18, next verse in your text. I told them how, how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. Nehemiah had had amazing grace from God with the emperor of Persia. And so he's telling them about all the emperor of Persia. Basically, he's recounting Nehemiah 1 and 2. He says, uh, I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me, what the king had said to me. They said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. When you're doing God's good work, there is always need and there is provision and opposition. One of our greatest surprise provisions came from this guy, from Gene Getz. He was the pastor of a church that is now called Chase Oaks in Plano. Um, I had spoken a few times on their church ski trip, and uh, they had kept inviting me back year after year to be the speaker on their church ski trip, and I loved it because I got to spend days skiing with Gene Getz, learning. The guy is a genius of all things in terms of leadership, and I just listened to him and learned from him all day and tried to keep up because this dude can ski. He was amazing. So anyway, uh, we're pulling all the pieces together for the core group of Frisco Bible, and, and Dr. Getz called, <clears throat> and with no preamble, he just started writing. He said, hey, Wayne, I've got six families for you. They're members of our church who live in Frisco. Barb will send you their numbers. I already called each of them. I told them that you teach the Bible well, even if you're a mediocre skier. Gotta run, bye. <laughs> God provides. By the way, four of those six families joined us. They made up a, a big chunk of our original 22 people. Mark Mattei. Was a provision from God. He was known as Kamikaze at Pine Cove. We'd become friends through camp and seminary. He was the very first person Jana and I talked to about the church plant because he and I had fantasized years earlier about planting a camp up in the mountains somewhere. And uh, and when we called Mark, he said, "We're in, we're in." He said, "Lynn and I can lead worship," and some of you remember how beautifully they did that and so many other things during the first decade of this church. You know, we didn't even pay Mark during the first year of his work. He continued his day job as a software consultant. There are so many stories of God's incredible provision here. Like like the time that we were as a church, $80,000 behind on the budget, and a visitor came and gave us a check for $80,000. Never saw them again. Every staff person, every elder has been a rich person provision every single person who has served in any of the church ministries they are a blessing from God and a blessing to God every church in our Frisco Christian Alliance has has been an uplifting partner I simply cannot go back over all of God's equipping here and now so I'm going to choose one story I'm just going to choose one story to stand in for them all 20 years ago the church treasurer and I were on our way driving to the closing on this property This property was sold to us by a little old sweet lady, a godly lady, who really, really wanted your church to be on her daddy's land that he filed on in 1931. And so much so that she sold us this land for $90,000, which even then was ridiculously low. We were on our way to closing on the property. She'd been holding the note for us, long, wonderful story. And, um, and I was with the church treasurer when suddenly I'm driving and Barry slapped himself on the forehead and said, oh my goodness, we are idiots. And I asked him <clears throat> why this sudden revelation of something I'd known for a long time. <clears throat> and he explained, look, and he held up the check. He said, this is a check from our investment savings account." That the, the best rate we could find anywhere in the country was a, was a, a bank up in Boston that gave us the best rate. So we'd been putting, we'd been scraping and saying, putting all our money up there. He said, we can't close, we need a cashier's check. And I felt absolutely sick to my stomach. Ah. Uh, so I didn't know what to do, so I just turned the car into our bank. It was one of two banks in town at the time. I walked into our bank, The uh, the... <clears throat> The president of that bank was Mary Cobb, whose family lives just over the hill here. And Mary was back in her office. She saw me walk in, and she came out, and she said, Honey, are you okay? You look like you've seen a ghost. (laughs) Uh, Mary. And I began to tell our sad story. And while I talked, Mary went. She said, Come over here. Come over here. And she put me on one side of the counter in the bank, and she moved the teller. said, Excuse me, hon. And she put herself there, and she started typing while I was talking. And uh huh, uh huh, and she's typing. And when I got done, she hit print, and outprinted a check on the bank's own checking account for ninety thousand dollars. And she just asked one question. She said, "Now, are you good for it, hon?" I said, y- y- "Yes, ma'am." She said, "You've got the money. Yes, ma'am. Just get it to me by the end of the month so I can close this out on our books." And we had her the money within three days. Isn't that amazing? God provides for his work, even, maybe especially, through older ladies who call you honey. But there is always opposition. There's always opposition. Look at the opposition Nehemiah faced. Read verses 19 and 20. When Sinballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building. But you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah faces serious problems here. This false threat is an existential one. It menaces both the work in Jerusalem and Nehemiah's life. You face similar problems in your health, in your business, in your family. There have been existential threats, right, the kind that drive you to your knees. The same has been true in your church. The elders of the Dallas church asked me not to leave but I felt compelled to do what the Lord had placed before us so when I went anyway it certainly made sense it was very understandable that they provided no funding at all and no access to that congregation the Broderick family's three thousand dollars of personal savings was all the seed money this church had that was intimidating so were some letters we got we got some letters from old people in Frisco There were a few old people in Frisco who really hated the idea that their their city was changing. And when we sent out our first mailer about the new church and this is what's going to happen, we got some mail back that told us in no uncertain terms that we were not welcome and these weird newfangled things were not desired in their town. When we went to Frisco schools, we went to FISD and asked for a, a place to meet. We were told, uh, no. Now... In case you don't know, that's illegal because there was a law passed in 1993 called the Equal Access Law, and, and everyone's supposed to have access, but this fellow in charge just sat there and looked at me and he said, nope, other groups can use the schools, anybody but a church, no churches at all. Now, I was already a volunteer in the district, and, uh, and I already loved FISD. Uh, in fact, I was, <laughs> I was doing all the marketing for the district for free and uh, had become friends with our wonderful superintendent, Justin Wakeland, And so I I wrote Justin a a letter and I said, hey, Dr. Wakeland, we accept the policy. That's the policy and we're gonna live by it. But I I fear that some other group's gonna come in and sue FISD. And I'm, I'm concerned that our wonderful little district is at risk, that we're gonna lose money and reputation if this happens. So I sent the letter and then we just trusted God and we just let it go. And instead we started our gatherings in the only place we could find to meet here. It was the very tiny meeting room of one of only five restaurants in town. The Abbey Restaurant. You guys remember that? The Abbey Restaurant. Uh, By the way, there really were only four restaurants in town because the Dairy Queen kept being shut down by the health department, so we didn't count that one. (laughs) Speaking of obstacles, after we bought the land and broke ground on our first building, the state announced that Eldorado Parkway was going to be put through west of Preston. Isn't that exciting? But not where originally planned. The road was moved. Instead of the road separating the Catholic and the Frisco Bible Church land, it was now going to go south of the Catholic Church. That allowed, uh, the city was about to be given a huge piece of property that that became the wonderful Warren Sports Complex name for our great Mayor Warren, and uh, that gave them a a major road there, a state highway there. We suddenly became the shed behind the Catholic Church. True story. In an elders meeting, an elder seriously proposed that we change our official name to the shed behind Frisco's only Catholic Church... (laughs) just so people would be able to find us. (laughs) But we thought about acronyms and realized that sounds kind of like an Eastern European curse word, so we turned that down. Um, Struggles and oppositions and setbacks are real. And by the way, opposition don't always come from the outside. This is a creepy one. Um, In the first six months of the church, it was a scene reminiscent of something from Acts chapter 5. This guy came up to us as elders, and he offered a massive amount of money. He offered to this little church plant that had maybe... $3,000. $3,000. He offered $1 million if we would give him a seat on the elder board. We said, um, no. No, that's not, that's not how scripture, that's not how elders are chosen. Uh, that You may be an elder someday, but that's not how this works. And he got mad, of course, and took his money and left. And unsurprisingly, later I found out he ended up arrested for fraud. And of course, here's the worst opposition, with any group of human beings this side of heaven, we have been pained by ugly sin, shaking fist at God, there's been ugly sin in our congregation, in our staff, even among our elders, and that's heavy, right? Sin is heavy. And I know what that weight makes you think. In, in, in your um, <coughs> Peppa Pig imitation, you're saying, what, what should God's people do in the face of such a tough opposition, Peppa? Right? Oh, great question, Peppa. Thank you for asking. We fight through. We build to last. That's what Nehemiah did. Look, despite the problems, here's what they did. They completed that wall and they continued the hard work of building up the people of God, building up their worship, building up their city. In fact, Nehemiah joined forces with a priest named Ezra And together they fought the opposition, and they did it the right way. Here's what they did. There were four activities that made all the difference for them, and and they continue to achieve God's purposes today. Look, here's what Ezra and Nehemiah teach us to do, to take God's never-changing message to an ever-changing people. We don't ask the people to stop changing. We invite them to really change, because there's no change like the change that happens when God's Word impacts your life. The second thing they did was they yielded to God. They submitted to God and His Word. Thirdly, they joined in redeemed community. That's really significant because, as you know, whenever you're facing an opposition or any kind of pain in your life, it's very isolating. Whenever you're facing a, a real struggle, there's a tendency to withdraw. And they teach us not to do that. In fact, they, they doubled down on their engagement. Fourth thing they did was rejoice in the Lord. The headline atop the right side of our notes summarizes for you all building to last has these elements we hold to God's word we yield to God's spirit we join together in the battle and we are strengthened by God's joy we see all that in Nehemiah chapter 8 so turn over a few pages to Nehemiah chapter 8 and let's read verses 5 through 8 Nehemiah 8 5 through 8 Ezra opened the book in full view the book by the way is a a scroll of, of God's word we don't know which one seemingly Deuteronomy he opened the book in full view of all the people, since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen, and they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kelaita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peleah, who were the Levites, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was read. Stop there. This is an incredibly moving depiction of how we hold forth God's never-changing message to an ever-changing people. It's true for the preacher Ezra. He's being changed by this. It's true for all the volunteers who are helping, for every adult, every child. they, They share, and we should share, Scripture that doesn't change in order to positively affect a world that always changes. I first ran into this idea in G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. Now, not all of that book is biblical, but his big idea certainly is. And his big idea, and I'm going to pridefully use my own phrasing because I like it better than his, his big idea is to take the never-changing message to an ever-changing people. That's why we're in our Imagine campaign as a church right now. We're sacrificing to prepare for the future. We want to eliminate debt and, if possible, procure new property. Why are we working so hard on that? Because the world is moving to your backyard. Thousands of people every year join us here. Most do not know Jesus as Savior. Most have never even been in a church. We must position ourselves to explain God's good news to them. We must position ourselves so that God's eternal scripture is readily available for all the different kinds of people, that it's explained to them, and that it changes their lives for good. Of course, land and buildings are only part of that positioning, right? The main thing is that we are always preparing ourselves. Every boy, girl, woman, and man, we're preparing ourselves to take God's good news to people and teach them to apply it. It's embedded in our very mission statement as a great commission. Here, say it with me. Mission and Frisco Bible all together. We are, redeemed community, doing the Great Commission by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Amen. Do you know what Jesus said about that doing the Great Commission? He said that means teaching them to do everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to do all, live out Scripture. That's what Ezra and Nehemiah did. And that's what we're here to do as well. And by the way, I suspect this is why you have flourished for 25 years, church. You have never ceased working to take the never-changing message to an ever-changing people. Well done. It's one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things is that Frisco Bible Church is known as a disciple-making church. You are known for building people up in the Lord. When I meet with pastors, as I, as I do regularly, they almost always comment on this, about the quality and the power of disciples that you create that come from all your, your Bible studies and ministries and groups and, and your church. And I want to tell you, well done. And our disciple-making is not just according to a front-end formula. You know, sometimes what is built gets torn apart. That was the case in Nehemiah, right? The broken walls? Same thing certainly happens in our lives as well, which explains why the church of Jesus must be about restorations. I, I mentioned earlier people who pain themselves and diminish their church by sinfully shaking their fist at God and practicing evil. This church has never and will never show anyone the door because of sin. Instead, we are committed to restoration. We have seen dozens of lives rebuilt, families resurrected, careers positively changed, all because we don't give up. Please don't misunderstand. We are never going to call sin anything but sin, period. But we're never going to quit on any sinner that is willing to do the hard work of change. I'd like you to read with me the, the great command about this from Scripture. Galatians 6.1 commissions us to rebuild an ever-changing people by gently applying the eternal, unchanging Word of God. You read the underlined text. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. We build to last by applying Scripture, and we yield to God. Go back to Nehemiah 8. Let's read verse 9, the next verse. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. You know, when Scripture convicts us, we're pained, but that is not merely a situation for mourning. It's it's most importantly an opportunity for change. The wise person yields to the Lord and his word. Sometimes, do you ever think about this? Sometimes tears can actually keep that from happening. Surrendering to God is the big issue, not how loudly we weep over internal or external obstacles. Look, look, this is awesome. Look up here. Nehemiah records the word Shema, which we translate as heard, right? It's It's your fancy word of the day, boys and girls. On the count of three, you get to say Shema. One, two, three, Shema. Shema may be the most important Hebrew word ever, ever coined, and maybe the most important word ever written in any language, it it means more than just to hear. Shema indicates submission, yielding, memory, um, understanding, obedience. To Shema is to listen, learn, and obey. So with that in mind, look at your text. We understand more deeply the reaction of these rebuilders in Jerusalem. When it says Shema, that tells us they were yielding to God. And the same must be true of us. Nothing is more important if we're going to conquer our opposition. Every action must be taken in submission to God and His Scripture. For example, remember how FISD told us they were closed to churches? We operated within that system. We yielded to God's Word because God's Word unequivocally tells us to submit to every human authority. So we did. And then we prayed. And we prayed with fervor. One afternoon, I was literally on my knees in our old offices up in the in the top floor of the attic of the uh, Abbey restaurant. And I, I was just, I was begging God. I was begging God and asking him to make us faithful because I was very concerned what I saw. The church had been going for a few months and we had two services and they were both full in that little space. And, uh, and something, when a church begins to bump against, any organization begins to bump against its walls, it will tend to atrophy. There are problems that come and I knew that and I was beginning to see some of them. And as I was there praying, I wasn't crying. I was just asking God to help me shema. I didn't see any way out of this problem. There was nothing open to us in Frisco, so I just wanted to listen and learn and obey. As I was praying, the phone rang. Since I was the only employee, I got up to answer the phone. (laughs) And it was this guy. It was Pat Fowler. Pat Fowler was the assistant superintendent in those days, a wonderful man of God. He said, Wayne... We've been working through a letter you wrote a while back, and we think you're right. What school would you like to meet in? <laughs> then I cried. <laughs> Remember all that, uh, that opposing mail, that hate-angry mail that we got? People worried we would change their city. We chose to submit to the Lord, Shema. We just, we just yielded to Him. We didn't worry about that. We didn't make any mess in the press. We just prayed for all the older people in town. A few days later, we got another letter from an old person It was from this guy. It was from Tommy. He seemed really old to me then. He was in his late 50s. (laughs) Just the kind of person that would write another stinky note. But this one wasn't a stinky note. It read, Praise God! We've lived here for four years, praying every week for a new church to come and be scripturally solid while culturally engaged. Can't wait to join the core group if you'll have us. And we have. Any good work involves seeing the need... And using God's provision. But this side of heaven, there will always be obstacles. There will always be obstacles. We fight through those problems according to Nehemiah 8. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We conquer our opposition by the oldest and best method possible. By surrendering. By yielding to God. So think about the opposition in your business or your community or your Twitter feed. How can you do what your church has done? Right now, I want you to think of one practical thing that you could do today to Shmah, to yield to God and His Word. Just think about that right now. Lord, in all the obstacles of my life, and there are many, what is one way I need to shmah? to learn and listen and obey? What is God putting on your heart that needs to change? You got it? You got something? Good. Now go do it. Go do it. But first, let's read verse 10. First, read verse 10. Then he said to them, this is Ezra speaking, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Now we're going to read the next part, but skip down to verse 12 where this thought is picked up. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. Here's the third way God's people overcome. We join redeemed community. Notice the inclusiveness of these invitations. Splurge, party, celebrate together. In fact, this celebration is to be so committed to togetherness that you make it hard on people to stay home. You see that? My pulpit team partner, Martin McDonald, was thinking through this text with me, and, and, and he shared a great thought about Nehemiah 8, 10, and 12. He wrote me and said, Wayne, this is the way to overcome opposition. Join community. Encourage each other and be thankful. This scene in Nehemiah is reminiscent of Psalm 23:5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Close quote. This year our vision has been built to last, and we laid out 3 goals for us this year as a church to hold, join and yield. Those goals we described them to you at the beginning of the of the calendar of our of our year last September. They're drawn from Acts 2:42, the great the great descriptor of the very first church that God built to last. But the concept's not only found in Acts 2.42. It's also here in Nehemiah 8. It's all through the Scripture. Look, we hold to God's words, we yield to the Holy Spirit, and we join together in fellowship. That's how we build. To illustrate this for us, my, uh, my sweetheart, Jana, with the assistance of our soon-to-be daughter-in-law, Katya, built this uh, Lego castle for you. And, uh, and they wanted you to think about the residence of the king. This is where the king lives Just as he lives in you, in your church, and in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus. And the residence of the king is built together, and it's made to be built together. If too many disconnect, what happens? It becomes unstable then, right? By the way, don't worry. I'm not going to destroy this one. I learned that lesson. Earlier this year, I used a Lego creation to try and illustrate a point about build to last. and, And when I had it smash, I looked at the congregation. There were people literally crying. So... They said don't cry in this passage so we won't do that. We'll keep it together. Although in in life, that's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy to keep it together, right? There are furies that continuously attempt to divide your relationships at work, in your home, in your community, and of course in your church. Those forces are not to be dismissed lightly. In fact, if you'll think about them, the things that try and tear you apart are almost always grounded in partial reality. For, For example... When, when, when you're sick of your stinky friends, it's probably true. They really are stinky, right? Your church really is flawed. It is full of flawed people. I cannot tell you how many times I have gone home and said to Jana, those people are idiots. I am done with them. And that's usually after an elders meeting. Okay? <laughs> true story. Aren't you glad you're not like that? You don't ever complain about your life group or your kids' teachers or other people who don't see things your way or are different from you, right? You don't complain about that, or do you? Listen, you need to hear what i hear in those times of disunity i hear the lord's word remind me that our fellowship is not based on us it's not based on people at all our interdependent redeemed community is based on scripture alone we understand the bible's message so we shma we yield to it and we celebrate life together that's especially important on the days i'm sick of myself <laughs> i have gone home complaining about myself far more times than all of you put together on those days, I go home, and usually it's like this. I sigh to Jana, and I say, ah, this, whatever the current problem is, this is so dumb. If, if they had a real pastor, he could surely solve this immediately. They're stuck with me. In those self-centered moments, and that's what that is. That's self-centered pride. I'm again reminded that our fellowship is not based on us. It's not based on people at all. Nehemiah 8 shows that our interdependent, redeemed community is based on Scripture alone. What do we do? We understand the biblical message, so we yield to God, and we celebrate life together. By the way, speaking of building to last, our annual theme, do you want, do you want to know what our, our vision and goals are going to be for next year? Do you want to know what the, what the vision, what the theme is for next year? Do you guys want to know? Do you want to know? It's almost time. You ready? No, sorry, I'm not going to tell you. Um, come back and find out. Today, we're going to finish build to last. (laughs) I love that. All right. Mm. The last aspect of building rightly, according to Nehemiah, is found in verses 10 and 11. That that famous passage about how the joy of the Lord is our strength. Read it. Uh, Pick up where we left off in 10. Do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Don't grieve. Even in times of despair or conviction or opposition, there's always joy in the Lord. We just have to engage with Him in order to rediscover it. And then in gratitude, the joy of the Lord gives us strength. Mervyn Brenneman puts it really well in his commentary on Nehemiah. He says, real joy is an expression of faith in what God can do and is doing. I would just add, and has promised He will do. Right? right? Let's bring this home right now. Think of some opposition, some obstacle or pain in your work. Okay? Whatever your work is. If you're, if you're retired, you know what your work is. Even if it's not a job, you're still working. If, if you're looking for work, that's your job. If you're at home, if you're, whatever your work is, think of a problem. If you can't think of any opposition or problems in your work, I'd like to talk to you after. I think you may be over-medicated. Um, <laughs> all right, now, uh, if, if, if you can't think of work, then think of a problem in your family or in your church or in your community, okay? You got your problem? Do you see the problem? Now just focus on that problem, got it? Now I want you to focus past that problem. Look past it. I know the barrier tends to take up all your vision. Look past it, please. Consider what God has provided, what He is providing, what He's going to provide. He is at work. Look at how He smoothed the road for you. Look ahead. Look look at how He's, look back. Look at how He shaped you and changed you along the way. Think about the presence of His Spirit. Consider the people who have encouraged you. Shma! right now, remember. Remember those blessings that can so easily get lost in the maze of all the problems. Can you think of any positives, any provisions from God? We we sadly don't have time right now to hear all of each other's situations. But here's what I want you to do: I want you to raise your hand and share one thing that God has done, is doing, or promises to do in your life. Let's look past the problems. Let's find the joy of the Lord is our strength. What has God done, is doing, or will do in your life? Raise your hand and let me call on you. Tell me something. What is He doing in your life? Somebody? Yes. Constant provision, giving you a new job, and you. And your new job, they paid you more than you even thought was possible. What a deal, yeah, that is not bad, yeah, it yeah, he negotiated. it was like backwards. it was just, okay, go for it. yeah, uh, yes his, hand is orchestrating all the details. his hands orchestrating all the details, even as you take care of special needs kids and and uh, all the other kids and the pastors you love on and everything else. It's just amazing, yeah, very good, yes. yeah, yeah, gave you provision of funding when you needed it desperately for your pretty, pretty little girl. Yeah. Um, what else? Somebody over here. Y'all are letting me down. Raise your hand. Somebody. Come on. Give me one more. What are you grateful for? How has God provided for you? Anyone? This whole section's going to let me down. Yeah. What do you got? Jerome. What's that? You're walking. How cool is that? Absolutely astounding. Jerome had surgery and Some things didn't go quite right, and then completely, unexpectedly, a hematoma developed, and he ended up with damage that we thought might be permanent, and he amazingly shamed to that. He was at ease in the Lord, but he did the hard work. He found the joy of the Lord as his strength, and he's walking. Give him a hand. That's just fantastic. Here's how my friend David Wade put it in a note to me. He said, Wayne, I thank God that he led us here when we moved to Frisco back in 1998. I also thank God for opportunities that he's given us to serve, to worship, and grow in the Lord here. Through any and all pains, the work of God in our lives together brings us joy. Close quote. Can't you feel the joy in that comment? I mean, it makes every one of us feel stronger. Aren't you encouraged that the joy of the Lord is our strength? Remember that. Folks, feelings come and go. But remember that strength you find in the fact that God is at work. He has spoken. That's where you're going to find the power for the next 25 years. The joy of the Lord is how you build to last in your life. Not happiness. Happiness fades. Joy can strengthen even when you're unhappy. It takes work. As a final word for this series about work, all the work God gives us to do. I'd like to read you a letter. This letter comes from one of our students, um, Jonathan Lindstrom. Is a senior at the United States Military Academy. Upon getting his West Point ring last week, Jonathan wrote this, and I quote, The inscription on my ring reads, Here am I, send me. It's Isaiah 6-8. These are the words the prophet Isaiah spoke in response to God when receiving his commission to preach to Israel at a time when they did not want to listen and did not want to turn from their sin. Isaiah's commission was not easy, glamorous, or fun leading Isaiah to ask how long he must fulfill this task, to which God essentially responded by saying, until I say so. (laughs) He goes on. I relate to this story in so many ways, and Isaiah's response, here am I, send me, is admittedly not always my response. I'm fully aware that my time in the army will not always be easy, glamorous, and sometimes not even fun. And I, too, find myself asking how long I will stay in the army. It's important for me to constantly remind myself that the commission I will soon earn as a second lieutenant in the army is also my commission from God. My proper response, as Isaiah modeled so perfectly, is complete submission to God's will over my life. In a word, shema. He goes on. My ring points me to this response. Here am I. Send me. He closes. Wherever you are in your education, career, or whatever your current situation in life may be, I'd encourage all of you reading this to remember Isaiah's words, Here am I, send me. Pray those words daily, seeking to faithfully and cheerfully fulfill God's commission over your life. Colossians 3.23 commissions us, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Close quote. All God's people said? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jonathan. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for the work series that we can be reminded to flourish because of you. We pray for ourselves. We pray for our church that we will flourish for another 25 years and far beyond. We thank you for the offering we're about to take. We pray that you will bless it and use it in your work. In Jesus' name, amen.